Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So my title today, we are in an Advent series. An Advent simply means arrival. If you've If you've been around church for any amount of your life, you know there's a season that Christians celebrate leading up to Christmas called Advent. And it's this season of anticipation. It's looking forward to the coming of our Savior and our King, Jesus. And so the church fathers, the early church fathers, they they built into the calendar a period of time where we could get our hearts ready for what was coming on Christmas morning. For what was coming from heaven to save us. And so the title for my message today is we head into Christmas Eve for, for, for week three of Advent this week is simply this. And, and this, I believe, really is one of the central messages of Christmas and of the reality of Advent. There are no dead ends with God. With God, there are no dead ends. Yes, there are stop signs. Yes, there are sometimes roadblocks that he puts in our way for our own good. But with God, sometimes what feels like a dead end, what feels like the end of our own story, is just the beginning of a new chapter that God wants to write. And friends, that's the promise of Christmas. That's what God is promising through the birth of his son. There is an endless amount of hope and mercy and life transformation and new life and new beginnings available through Jesus Christ. To illustrate this, because I, I had the opportunity to go back last week, uh, I was invited back in the summer by um, <laughs> part of my story. I, I grew up a Episcopalian. So my father was an Episcopal priest. Uh, Now he's a part of the Anglican Church. He's retired, but he still works as an associate priest at an Anglican Church in Atlanta. And so if you're not familiar with that whole sort of stream of the church, just think Catholicism without as much focus on Mary, okay? So all the smells and the bells and the robes, and I asked him if I could, you know, preach in a robe. I thought that'd be pretty cool. They said, no, I wasn't an ordained priest. I was bummed by that, but... um, I did have the opportunity to go back. I was invited back to speak at my father's uh, 40th anniversary, the, the celebration of his 40th anniversary of all of his life in ministry. And so uh, the head priest, Father Michael, at his church called me and said, would you be willing to come back and preach in honor of your dad? I said, absolutely. So we had the chance to, to head back to Atlanta last week. And you know how it is, <laughs> parents, especially if you have kids, Traveling with kids, how do you put this? Um, It's not fun. It's an adventure. It's just an adventure, okay? There's no other way around it. And this trip was no exception. And so we headed back east. Our our flight from Sacramento left around 1 or 2 o'clock. We arrived in Atlanta later in the day because there's a three-hour time difference. We we got our rental car. We snagged some fast food, and we hopped on I-85. If you know the East Coast at all, I-85 is sort of the main interstate. It's like I-5 that goes up the eastern coast there. And uh, we hopped on I-85 after dinner. We, we put uh, Mimi and Pops, that's Grandma and Granddad's address into the phone because we were going to spend a few days with Lindsay's family before coming back to spend time with my family. And their house is only about an hour and a half away from the airport. 
hour and a half, easy drive. And Google Maps popped up and there was this massive red line between where we were and Mimi and Pops' house, all red. And there was a huge, you know, like triangle with an exclamation point in the middle and you click it and it says Interstate 85 will be closed between 9 p.m. and 4 a.m. on these dates. And it just so happened that we landed on the first day that it was shut down. Praise Jesus. Traveling with children is an adventure. So you can imagine the anticipation. We're about to see grandma and granddad and cousins and they're all there waiting. They're excited for us to get there. And so now we're like, okay, it's gonna take a little longer. We'll have to take the back roads. And so we, we looked on Waze and Google Maps and we started to figure out a different route to get to their house. And it's all back roads and side roads that run parallel to I-85. And um, you know, maybe about 20 or 30 miles up these back roads, we get an alert. And it says, you can now cut back to I-85. The interstate's open now. You've made it past, you know, the shutdown of the interstate. We're like, great. You know, behind us, apparently, there were about 15 or 20 other cars who were using the same app that we were. And they all took the same turn we did, which was, you know, comforting, thinking, okay, everyone's app is saying the same thing. We're going to get back on the interstate past the obstruction of the interstate. And, you know, it's late at night at this point. We're in the middle of nowhere, North Georgia. And there's some fields leading up as we, as we head back towards I-85. There's sort of these open fields and I can see the exit ramp to get back onto the interstate. And as I look north on the exit ramp, it's just wide open road. It's beautiful. You know, we're back on the highway, back, you know, headed home, right? Uh, but then as I look right, I see about a quarter mile down the interstate what looks like a, you know, like a police barricade that's slowly moving forward. And, and there's all this construction equipment around it. And then behind it, I don't know, 20 miles of cars backed up. And it dawns on me. That thing is moving forward at about two miles an hour. I got a shot. I, I can beat it. I can get in head. There's wide open road in front of me. Like, we've got this. And all the cars behind me are thinking the same thing. They're, we're right up on each other. And friends, I'm not proud of this. I'm a pastor. I shouldn't even admit this to you. I floored it. I don't even know, I don't even know how fast I was going. I, I don't know if there were stop signs. I don't know what was on the way, but I was like, I am beating that roadblock. I am gonna get in front of that thing and we are, we're heading home, right? Now, look, I have so much deep respect for our police officers, the men and women who keep us safe and the highway patrol, the highway patrol uh, people. But uh, apparently one of them at the front of this you know, barricade, you know, they saw what we were doing. And they saw us coming. And he floored it. And he said, uh-uh, this ain't happening. And I'm not kidding you. He is racing towards the exit. And I see him coming and I'm like, I am reliving my high school years or middle school years. I'm like, I am back and fast in the furious. I am taking this exit ramp. We're maybe on two wheels, like coming around the edge. I'm like, I am going to get there before he gets there. I don't even care if I get a ticket at this point. I'm like, I'm not sitting in that line. But he beats me to the end of the exit ramp and just looks at me and says, no. 
And all 15 cars behind me were all piled up on this, you know, circular exit ramp. And this, this, this work truck moves up right behind him. And he puts this huge, you know, barricade at the end of the exit ramp that says road closed. <laughs> and then he walks you know, through the field to the top of the exit ramp. I'm thinking, well, we'll just all back up and get back on the country roads. And no, it's like punishment at this point. He puts another barricade at the top of the ramp and says, road closed. And we're stuck. We're literally stuck on this exit ramp. And I'm watching as a quarter mile away, this, all this construction equipment. And I, I'm like, why, is it, why aren't these machines put on a semi-truck and moved to wherever they're supposed to go? Like, why are they, sh- like, you know, I have no idea why they're shutting down the interstate for these, I, I just don't, no one informed me, right? It didn't make much sense. So we get to the bottom and friends, just full confession, full exposure, deep in my heart, I hated that police officer. <laughs> I wanted to do him harm. I just have to get that out there, confession. <laughs> I, I Truly, only kidding, but not really. And also, I have so much respect for all, all of you who serve as men and women of our law enforcement. It was just in that moment, it was just bad timing, right? And, and here was the worst part about it, right? So we, we sat there. And we waited, I don't know, probably, literally probably took 15 minutes for these huge machines to move past us with all the police cars around them. And as soon as they moved past us, they removed the barricade and they let us actually file in as the first ones behind all this big machinery. I honestly don't know what was worse. Being the first ones in line who almost made it or being 20 miles back with no hope, right? I'm like, I might as well have just been sitting 20 miles back in traffic. Now I can see clearly in front of me the open interstate. I have no idea why they didn't just let us get on out there and go. To this day, I don't, I mean, to this moment, I don't know why. All I know is that it was a roadblock. It was a dead end. It was frustrating. It was confusing. We were losing our minds. We were literally losing our minds in that moment. You know, losing our faith momentarily, perhaps. But friends, the reason I share that, one, it happened, and I just feel like this is therapy for me. I need to get it out and share it with everybody. Uh, It's sort of confession at the same time. But there are moments (laughs) in our lives for all of us where, where we come up against a dead end, a roadblock, and it feels confusing. We feel stuck. We feel trapped. And, and maybe even you can see the open road ahead, but you don't know how to get there. It feels impossible to get there. And the whole time you're wondering, why? This is uncomfortable. I don't like being here. This is miserable. Lord, why? And when I was invited to speak at my father's church, you know, in the Anglican church, they, they don't let you, you know, pick just whatever you want to preach on. You're assigned a passage of scripture and you have to preach on that. And so I was assigned for week three of Advent, Isaiah 35. And I thought, great. Isaiah, I mean, you know, it's the Bible. I love the Bible, but I haven't read Isaiah in like five or six, seven years, maybe not since seminary. I got to crack this thing open and really do some studying. But I kid you not, I was completely blown away by Isaiah 35. 
Isaiah 34 and 35, what I realized is this. It is not just the promise of Christmas. It's not just the fulfillment of Advent. What it is, is God saying, I'm going to take the most impossible dead ends in your life, the most barren wilderness wastelands of your life, and not only am I gonna destroy the roadblocks, but I'm going to free you up onto a highway where you will find freedom, hope, joy, purpose, and the entire reason that I am sending my son is so that I will set the captives free and I'm gonna bring you into a new place. I'll take the worst spots of your life the worst things that you've struggled with, the deepest pains that you've endured, the, the things that you look back and never want to remember, that you want to forget. And God's saying, right there is where I want to do my greatest work in your life. Friends, God does his greatest work in the wilderness of our lives. Isaiah 34 to set the context for Isaiah 35, I want to read a few verses. Starting in verse 9, it says this. It says, the streams of Edom, which was just a, an area of land at that point that stood in between the Israelites and their return to Jerusalem, their return to Zion, which represented God. So the land of Edom was in the way. And Isaiah prophesies, the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch. It's like tar. Her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become a burning pitch like, like an oil fire or tar pits on fire. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it. It's a massive roadblock. It shall be the haunt of jackals. Wild animals, wild animals shall meet with hyenas. This is just a picture of an impassable, dangerous, impossible path. A line of confusion will be stretched over the wilderness and the plumb line of emptiness, meaning it's gonna be empty. It's gonna be barren. No one can get through this. Alec Motyer, who is one of the, the foremost theologians and, and um, commentators on the book of Isaiah. He studied it his whole life. He describes Isaiah 34. Before he gets to Isaiah 35, he says this. He says, Isaiah beginning on the, the, wild, the widest canvas. The widest canvas. Isaiah reveals the fall of earth and heaven, the death of people, the corruption of nature, and the withering of the universe altogether. That's what he's describing here with this picture of the nation of Edom. Isaiah 34 is a picture of what happens when people and nations turn away from God. And yet Isaiah 35, Isaiah 34 leaves you hopeless. Isaiah 35 speaks of the destiny of those who turn toward God and trust fully in him. Isaiah 35 is the promise of God to turn the wilderness of our lives, the desert places of our lives, into the places of greatest growth. The dead ends of our story into the beginning of a new chapter of your life and of mine. And friends, the wilderness, the desert seasons of our life will do one of two things. One, it will cause you to turn away from God, to grow bitter towards God and people, 
to question God, to lose trust in God, or two, it will teach you how to lean on God, how to trust God, how to depend on God, and God will transform you through it. One of two things. So Advent, it represents one of two realities. Actually, it represents two realities. These will be on the side screens. I wanna, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. You see Advent and Christmas, it represents this. It says, God will make a way where there is no way. So when God makes a way where there is no way, it also represents the arrival of new beginnings and the endless possibility of new life. The endless possibility of new life. So let's jump into Isaiah 35, verse one and two. Here's what the prophet writes. He says this. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom with wildflowers. And it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. It's amazing. And we'll understand the wilderness in just a second that Isaiah is prophesying about is talking about a personal and spiritual wilderness. Not just physical. He's using what was actually happening in that day to paint a broader picture of one, how God was going to restore things, but two, what was happening in the hearts of his people. And he goes, there's a day coming. I know I just painted a bleak picture of what's actually happening in the world right now, but there is a day coming where God will turn the wilderness, the bleakest areas of your life into a, a flourishing place of new life. What was once a desert, what was once a wilderness will be, will be flourishing with wildflowers, abundant with life, rejoicing with joy and singing. It says the glory of Lebanon and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Lebanon is where all the people of the ancient world would harvest their trees from. It was a place where rain fell all the time. So trees would grow, huge cedars would grow, and they would harvest their trees to build whatever they needed to build in that season. Lebanon represented a place of consistent provision. Carmel and Sharon were, were two areas in the ancient Near East where rain fell so plentifully that all the farmers would gather there, and that is where they would cultivate the land. It's where they would plant seeds and they would reap a harvest. And so what Isaiah is prophesying is he's saying what used to be a wilderness, God is gonna turn it into a harvest, the most impossible situations, the, place, the places that you are most desperate for rain, the places you are most desperate for God to move, you're most desperate for a breakthrough, the very places in your life where you feel like that will never change, nothing will ever, nothing new will ever grow there. God says it's those places that I'm gonna transform, that I'm gonna bring abundant life. Christmas, friends, is God's promise to redeem the worst, heal the most unhealthy things, the most diseased, the most broken parts of our world and our lives, to take the places where nothing can live and nothing can grow and turn it into New life, a garden, a flourishing life. I was doing a little research this past week on a place that 
I've been to before. Many of you, I'm sure, have been there. It is the lowest elevation. It's the lowest place in America. It's called Death Valley. Here's a photo of what Death Valley looks like. Um, not much rain there, and uh, not much can live or survive in Death Valley, hence the name Death Valley. I found out through Wikipedia, this was interesting, um, on the afternoon of July 10th in 1913, the United States Weather Bureau recorded a high temperature of 134 degrees Ooh. at Furnace Creek. I thought that was appropriately named location. Furnace Creek in Death Valley, uh, which stands as the highest ambient air temperature ever recorded on the surface of Earth. Hello. That's hot, okay? Isaiah 34 describes the wilderness as a place of burning sands, a place that you cannot get through. Nothing can survive in conditions like this. Now, what I also learned about Death Valley, and this was fascinating, is that about once every 10 years or so, it experiences something called a super bloom. This is wild. Check this out. This is Death Valley during a super bloom. And what I learned is this, you see, the rains, in order for this to happen, it has to be just the right amount of rain. If it's too much rain, it'll wash all the, the seeds in the soil down to the rivers and down to the reservoirs. If it's too little rain, the seeds won't germinate and sprout. If it comes at the wrong time of year, they won't blossom. And so once every 10 years or so, the rains come in just the right amount at just the right time, and the entire landscape of Death Valley is transformed into this beautiful garden. It changes overnight. And what Isaiah is talking about is this. He's saying, look, the wastelands of your own life, the death valleys of your own soul, you're stuck behind a roadblock. You don't understand why. You see the open road ahead of you. You keep making self-destructive decisions. You keep wondering if you're ever gonna have a breakthrough in your marriage, if you're ever gonna find love, if you're ever gonna achieve that dream, if you're ever gonna arrive at that goal for your life, if you're ever gonna get out of debt. You keep wondering and sitting and you can't seem to reach your destination and God is saying the whole time, rain is coming. Trust me, I'm coming to save you. And at just the right time, I'm gonna give you just what you need to take the worst and most broken parts of your life and do something amazing. He goes on in verse three. Isaiah says, with this news, with the news that God is gonna turn the death valleys of the world, the barren wastelands of our life into this beautiful garden, into new life, with this news, Strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with anxious souls, have courage, take heart. If you're anxious today, the Lord says, have courage, take heart. God is on his way to put things right. He is here, right here to make right all wrongs. He is coming to save you. It's the promise of Christmas. Friends, somebody needs to hear that today. 
Some of you have been waiting for a long time. Isaiah 34 said, from generation to generation, it lies waste and is impassable. Some of you have been dealing with things that have been passed down in your family from generation to generation. And you look at that and you say, is it ever going to change? I find myself turning into the same thing. I find myself making the same mistakes. I find our family falling into the same ruts. And you wonder because you've been waiting for a long time. And God says, look, if you turn to me, if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in me, then there is an advent, an arrival of new creation and new beginnings, new mercies every single morning. There is grace unending and you can walk a new road. You can walk a new road. Friends, whether we believe it or not, one of the kindest words that God will ever say to you is no or not yet. One of the kindest things God will ever say to you or do in your life is say no or not yet. I can't tell you as a father how many times my kids have come to me and said, Dad, I want it now. I want that thing. I need that thing to be happy. I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've said, Lord, I need this to change yesterday. I need a breakthrough now. I need to see some freedom in my life in this area now. I need to see you do something, Lord. I am sick and tired. I've been traveling all day and now I'm stuck at this roadblock and I don't understand why and I can see an open highway ahead of me and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and for whatever reason, God is saying, not yet. But here's the deal. It's not a dead end, it's just a stop sign. And he's saying, if you'll wait and trust me, because here's the most important part, right? The super bloom in Death Valley, the, the verdant garden that springs to life, the only way that it happens is by collecting the seeds that blow off the mountains in the Sierra Nevada for like five, six, seven, eight, ten years. And so God in the wilderness, in the death valleys of our life, he is planting seeds that are one day going to grow if you trust him, if you look to him, if you continually turn to him. And at just the right moment, the rain is coming. And Isaiah says, say to those with weak knees and weak hands and weary, anxious hearts, God is on the way. He's coming to save you. Friends, that's the word of the Lord in Christmas. So many of us, we, we, we're in these wilderness seasons of our lives, right? We're in these moments of our lives and we think we're gonna die out here. Hadn't rained in forever. My marriage isn't gonna make it. Our nation isn't gonna make it. Our economy isn't gonna make it. I'm never gonna overcome this stronghold or this addiction that the future holds nothing but the, but the same. More, more barrenness, more drought, more heartache, more defeat, more dashed hopes, more deferred dreams, more dreams of a promised land that we never arrived at. God has surely forgotten me. But Isaiah says, no, he hasn't. He's coming. He's coming to save you. In verse five, it says, and when he comes, here's how you know. 
He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Sounds a lot like what Jesus did on earth, doesn't it? Here's how you'll know if God has come to rescue you, to save you. Here's how you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some hope deferred. Here's how you know if the Messiah has come. He will open blind eyes. He will open deaf ears. The lame will walk and jump and shout and sing for joy. The mute will speak for the first time. God is going to send you a sign that his Messiah he himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ. When you see the Messiah doing these things, take heart, don't be afraid, he's coming to save you. The birth of Jesus Christ in the manger was the beginning of God's restoration of the world and the reversal of everything that sin broke. Sin caused death, disease, Hatred, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Sin is the source of everything. Us turning away from God is the source of everything that went wrong. All the pain that we experience. And God says, in Christ, I'm gonna begin the reversal. I'm gonna begin the healing of the world. You, by faith, can become a new creation in Christ. This is what the Messiah will do. And I thought about it. I said, man, why, why miracles? Why blind eyes opening? Why deaf ears opening? Why mute ton tongues speaking? Because miracles represent something that humans cannot do on their own. I want to invite the band to come out as I bring this to a close for us. Isaiah 34, it talks about a wilderness that we can't make it through, something that is impossible for us. It feels like a dead end, and God goes, it's not a dead end. It's not the end of your story. It's actually the beginning of a new chapter that I wanna write in your life. It's the beginning of a, of a new sign of my salvation. And then he closes this passage and he says, look what I'm gonna do. Verse eight, he says, a great road will go through that once deserted land and it shall be called the way of holiness. The other word for holiness in the Old Testament is wholeness or healing. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. They won't get lost. Praise God for that line. Anybody been a fool recently? <laughs> I sure have. But do you know what he's saying here? He goes, look, there's a way of wholeness, of healing, of holiness. And I'm, he goes, what used to be a, a wilderness, impassable wilderness, on fire, nobody, generation after generation, could make it through on their own. I'm going to turn it into a lush, vibrant garden of life, and I'm going to make a highway straight back to me through my son, Jesus Christ. Look, you can't earn it. You can't work your way. You can't navigate the fire pits and get over the mountains. You could never make it, but I'm gonna make a straight road right there. And he goes, look, the only people that can't walk there, he says, are the unclean. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, in the Jewish world, you know, those who were unclean was anybody who had not received or participated in God's sacrifice. The only way to make atonement for sin in the old covenant was to sacrifice a lamb, was to sacrifice something to God. And God goes, look, this, this road is open to anyone. Anyone who, who wants to walk on it, and even, even if they're fools their whole life, they can still be saved by grace, but you've gotta receive and accept my sacrifice for you, Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross. You can't get on this road, you can't experience a new life, you can't experience all I wanna do in and through your life unless you receive Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father except through me. He closes with this in Isaiah 9. It says, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon that highway. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, that is coming home to the Father with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know why? Have you ever met somebody who's made it through something they thought they could never make it through? Have you ever met somebody who's been bound and then is set free? Have you ever met somebody who was on the other side of a desert or a wilderness they believed they were gonna be stuck in for all time? And now they're walking on the other side, they're on the highway, they're on the road, they're, they're flying free. Have you ever met someone like that who's like, oh man, bummer, this stinks. Wish I was back there. No. Anybody who's ever experienced the restoration of God in their life or has come out the other side of a wilderness into a season of blessing is rejoicing, is full of joy. And here's the amazing thing, friends, don't miss this about the restoration of God. God doesn't just take the broken parts of your life and get them back to like, okay, good enough. I was told recently by a physician that when a bone breaks, any bone in your body, when it heals in the place where it was broken, it's stronger than before. God gives us examples in nature of the way he redeems and restores our lives. So he takes the death valleys, he takes the broken areas, he takes the places that look impossible for us to get through. And he goes, I'm gonna restore that not just to like, okay, you're decent. I'm, I'm gonna restore it to better than before, better than you could have imagined. And then the place of your greatest struggle and your greatest weakness and your greatest trial is now gonna be the story of your greatest victory through me. And you're gonna be used by me to lead others on that same road out of the captivity that they've been in. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of the gospel. And friends, today, my invitation to you is to enter into that story by faith in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.